This is the Vanessa House Bottle Share, a show about the local Oklahoma craft beer scene and the people that make it happen. Now let's share a beer and share stories. Hello, welcome to episode three of the Vanessa House uh, Bottle Share podcast. It's a show um, where we introduce everybody to people from the industry and we talk about some experiences that we've had that uh, make us, that got us into this industry, why we like this industry, and what makes this industry great. Um, so without further ado, I'll let our guest introduce himself today. Uh, hi, yeah, I'm Sean Mossman. I'm the sales and marketing director for Coop Aleworks here in Oklahoma City. Excellent, excellent. And I'll let my partner introduce himself. Uh, as, always, as always, Zach Smith. Excellent, excellent. And you did that uh, without a script. I'm I, impressed. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted some talking points there, but you're supposed to come up with your own talking points. Okay. Uh, and if I didn't already say it again, I was I'm Andrew with Vanessa House Beer Company. So, um, yeah. So first, we'll kind of let's talk about what uh, beers we brought in first. We kind of cheated this round and already cracked uh, what we're drinking first. So this is Vanessa. They can't House's. see that. They don't know that. You didn't well, have to tell them. I did. I'm an <sighs> honest type of guy, I guess. <laughs> we were thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. This is started. <laughs> this is our uh, welcome to Manila. It's a Berliner Weiss with, I'm going to mess this up. So mango, passion fruit, zest, lemon zest, and guava? Uh, lime zest and guava. Lime yeah. zest and guava. I know I was going to miss one. And miss why one. the name? Uh, what this? So this one, we just kind of went with the, all the fruits from that area. It's yeah. Kind of and a, uh, the probably our, our, I think it was our first employee besides an owner. Cody Anderson. It was mm-hmm. the first beer he kind of, well, no, it's not the first beer, but it's one of the first beers he ever brewed for us. And he had just recently gone to Manila um, prior to creating this recipe. I'm going to annoy the hell out of you because I'm going to ask more questions than you guys do tonight. <laughs> I, I actually prefer that. I don't, have a, I don't have a script, so I'm kind of <laughs> just winging it here. All right. No, you'll, the, the, the questions and uh, talking points come naturally the more beer we drink. Good. Uh, typically. So, Good, yeah, and so we also brought uh, a new wheat that we have on in the tap room called uh, WTF Wheat. Just a good, clean example of a wheat beer. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, yeah, what'd you bring, Sean? Cool. Uh, well, I brought uh, a bottle of our anniversary beer from last weekend's. Let's see, I guess two weekends ago was our tenth uh, anniversary. We had a, a as big a celebration as you can have when it's thirty-four degrees with a twenty-five mile an hour wind um, at your brewery, but uh, had you know. A little over a thousand people there uh, donating to the Central Oklahoma Humane Society as they do every year for our anniversary. So I brought the 10th anniversary beer. This is the first time we did an anniversary beer. Blake uh, felt really strongly that he wanted to kind of make this, uh, obviously being the 10th anniversary, uh, really special. So um, he pulled a uh, couple of barrels of uh, barrel-aged, bourbon barrel-aged stout out of uh, his uh, barrel archive um, and uh, blended it with kind of a, a farmhouse, a soured uh, farmhouse, and um, re-fermented it on a tart cherry. So we'll break that out here in a little bit. Uh, it's a, basically a funky fruited stout. It's I think it's pretty good. And then uh, I brought Id Number Four. I pulled out of my uh, my cellar. I brought a couple of bottles of uh, Id Number Four, which is a uh, which is a sour farmhouse ale. So I'm a little on brand right now with a couple of sours in here first, um, and then. Uh, we're fortunate enough, as you guys are, to be able to travel around to a lot of breweries in the country, 
check them out, get some insight from some of the best in the business on how they're doing things. And so Daniel Mercer, one of our co-founders, uh, was at uh, Odell uh, earlier this week, taking a look at their brewing system, kind of getting some some thoughts about what we want to do at our new place with brewing systems, and uh, was able to bring back a crowler of Ginny IPA, which is a taproom-only beer from Odell. I thought uh, I'd crack with you guys. I haven't had it yet, and looking forward to that one. So Ooh, That'll be a treat. Yeah. Intriguing. Nice little treat. But uh, we are going sour heavy this episode. This is, yeah. This is which, the sour episode. Yeah, which is interesting since, full disclosure, I typically I'm not a huge sour fan. Uh, I like them, but just don't drink a heck of a whole lot of them. I'm usually a big stout guy myself. Cool, I've got Zantac if you need it. Yeah, oh, no. We'll I be. need Zantac just in general. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, I need to take those every two hours. I'm not sure if you're supposed to do that or not. But I'm fairly certain you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, yeah, no, so let's get into the heart of it. Um, again, this show is about, you know, getting to know the people in the industry. So, sure. Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself and your history and tell us how you got to Coop. Sure. Um, it's a... Long and winding road. Um, it, it's, uh, I think, fairly non-traditional for the brewing industry. I think a lot of people uh, you'll talk to and hear from and or expect to hear from in the beer industry. Um, you know, started the brewery themselves, was inspired in some way uh, by other breweries. Uh, not that I wasn't, but really f- my beer for me started when I was in college at Oklahoma State. I was a, uh, just a regular, you know, BS employee at Brown's Bottle Shop, which anybody that's been to OSU or uh, spent any time in Stillwater knows Brown's Bottle Shop is the kind of the big liquor store right near campus. So I worked there uh, in the late 90s, and really that was my first introduction to craft beer and really sort of a better level of wine and a better level of spirits than you're just used to really kind of you know, just like the ethanol delivery system you're used to when you're <laughs> in college, right? right. And so, um, so I became really fond of brands that we look at now and kind of smirk about, but like J.W. Dundee's Honey Brown was a, an early favorite of mine and Pete's Wicked Ale and Rogue was doing, a, you know, was out on the front edge of a lot of the big bottle uh, specialty mm-hmm. releases. Mm-hmm. I remember we would always have one of those big kind of wine racks, vertical wine racks or horizontal wine racks full of Rogue bottles when I was in college. And uh, I always enjoyed uh, trying those. So that was really my first experience and it just kind of ruined me uh, for life in regards to things like you know, Coors Light or, you know, bottom, sh- uh, you know, well, well liquors or things like that. Right. right. And so, um, so I kind of got an appreciation for it, but I didn't get into that industry. I actually started as a, uh, broadcast major, graduated from OSU, went to Iowa with my wife. Um, and we, I, I, I got a job with CBS covering politics in the oh. Bush Gore elections in 99 and 2000. So I, I did that. Um, after that election was over, I moved to Tulsa, where my wife is from, and was a news reporter for the CBS affiliate in Tulsa. And a couple of years into that, just basically just kind of decided that I really wanted to start making money someday, because mm-hmm. um, it's kind of important for some things, um, like eating, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. right? And so uh, decided <laughs> I wanted to get out. I, I'd gotten to know a lot of the folks on uh, Al Gore's campaign during my time in Iowa. And they were able to hook me up with a job in in politics as a communications guy uh, in politics. So that was like my first career change very early, uh, obviously a couple of years out of college. I spent eight years working in political campaigns and eventually ended up um, being able to having the privilege really of working for uh, President Obama and his successful first campaign, including its stint on uh, at the DNC convention as one of the organizers of the, the Democratic National Convention in Denver. When that was done and the president got elected, my wife and I had had our 
had had our first kid, we're about to have our second kid, and we decided we didn't want to move to D.C. and work for the administration. Uh, we wanted to stay in Oklahoma. We'd fallen in love with Oklahoma. I'm not originally from here. I grew up in the East Bay outside of Oakland. Um, and so wanted to stay here. I had a relationship with a local company called MD Building Products, and I talked to them for a very short period of time. And uh, they were nice enough to bring me in uh, as their uh, marketing director, as a VP of marketing. Uh, and that was probably nine years ago or so. And that gave me a different kind of path. I, I, the whole way I was really always doing communications and marketing. Uh, and I began to learn a little bit more about consumer packaged goods on a bigger scale, right? Mm -hmm. We were MD Building Products is a hundred year Oklahoma company over by the Capitol that manufactures different types of tools and hardware for Lowe's and Home Depot and Ace Hardware. Um, and what sounds like a really boring suit job and sometimes could be, but it was a real eye opener in, in, a, in a learning experience for me to kind of get to see how you know, consumers interact with products and how retailers merchandise products to get those consumers not just to buy, but to give those consumers the, the solutions that they want or they're looking for and how manufacturers kind of play a role in that whole supply chain. And so um, that was, I thought I was going to stay there forever. I really enjoyed that job and still love that whole team over there today. I saw my old CEO the other night at the basketball game and I can't, you know, I can't see him without giving him a hug and telling him thank you for that experience. Uh, but I spent six years there, and um, and and in, then it, right at that time, it was three years ago, actually, right about now, is my anniversary at Coop is April first, three years. Um, I was recommended by a mutual friend of Daniel's and myself uh, to take a look at a job posting that they put up for sales and marketing director, and. I, I put my resume in with no expectation or really no, I wouldn't say desire to move because obviously I put my resume in, right? But I, I honestly would have been happy if I didn't even get an interview, if I was just not right for them on paper or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, we spent a couple of months talking, really got to know each other. And I think, you know, for me, I saw a lot of applicability of what I was doing at MD Building Products. Um, if you sort of kind of from time to time, divorce yourself from the romanticism of beer and mm -hmm. remember that these are consumer packaged goods, that there's a consumer on the end that has to make a buying decision, whether it's at your tap room bar or whether it's in the the, the, the aisles of Homeland, right? They mm -hmm. have to make a decision and kind of understanding how they make the decision or believing you understand or at least being, you know, um, inquisitive enough to try to get to understand how they make that decision. I thought was was really applicable, and so you know it is a it is a romantic industry, and and we take the beer very seriously. But I think that what was attractive to me was that it was still consumer packaged goods. It was an exciting business. It was local. I really wanted to be very involved in local, and more important than anything else, they were about seven employees at the time, right. and I knew there was an opportunity for them to grow based on where they were and what I thought the market potential was for for beer in Oklahoma. And so I, I really, the tiebreaker for me was having the opportunity and having the commitment from those guys, Blake and Daniel at the brewery, to, um, to really invest in, in growing the people side of Coop and to bring more, more and more young professionals into the organization, develop them, and try to create a culture, while there was a culture there, create a culture of kind of 
constant improvement for young people to get into the industry and, and really work in, a, in an environment that they like and in a career that they, they love. And that's honestly, in the three years, that's been the most rewarding experience to me. It's not been the growth of the brand or, um, or just the sales numbers or the opportunity to go to festivals and hang out with people and, and to get to know what everybody's like. It's really been kind of the development of the people that are inside the the building that we've added since then. So now we're up to around 30 employees and and we'll continue to grow, hopefully, if, if the market continues to grow. But um, that was the weirdest winding road to like how I got here. It's not a sexy story. It's not like yeah, I think it's, it's not like you guys growing up, you know, brewing beer together uh, as friends and, and and and, you know, this kind of being eventually where, you know, your fate was going to take you like mine was a very. Uh, circuitous road. And also it was very much about the business of beer and not necessarily the product of beer. Blake's the product of beer, right? right. He's the, he's the guy that makes what we sell great, I think. Um, and, but for me, it was really about the product of beer and understanding those consumer markets. And, and that's kind of what I do for Coop. Yeah. I think it's super interesting. It's like, <clears throat> those are some, I don't know if they're complete right turns, but to jump from campaign management to, uh, you know, package good sales to, yeah. to, you know, uh, craft breweries. That's super interesting to me. That's nice. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's fairly, I mean, I don't think it's dramatically different. Right. It is different. I think it's more extreme probably than like what we went through, but cause like we, I always classify it as we, <clears throat> we graduated college and we got what I called big boy jobs. Yep. Like mm -hmm. we got all the jobs everybody was expecting us to get based on our careers. And, um, and ultimately just started brewing together and it came together such that a couple of us were able to like spin off and like do that full time. Andrew and I still work our quote unquote big boy jobs as right. it sits right now. Right. But we were able to provide those those jobs for Evan, who is who's kinda like Blake. Right. Uh, he would never want to Evan would never want to be on this podcast. He doesn't want to <laughs> yeah. he doesn't want to talk on air. Yeah. But he does a good job. These days, oh man, but. we're gonna have to if we get them on him, we should get him and Cody on sometime. Yeah. But you're gonna have to We'll have to get some other brewers that don't want to talk either and it'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'll just be like all radio silence yeah. i was gonna say have you're gonna have to crack the beers prior to the show you're <laughs> right. gonna have to have a couple just to like loosen right. the nerves i think you'll be on. surprised it'll probably be the best content you've ever created it very right? well yeah. could be uh, yeah so yeah so how many of you guys are inside right now how many are still outside you know mm -hmm. what are your hopes for the near-term future in regards to that inside outside mix from the from yeah, the partners man, I'm, I'm hoping we can like myself and i know zach is hoping to well, too sooner rather than later, we can, we can make that first, you know, turn mm -hmm. of, on our career path. Um, it's hard balancing everything, but I mean, I'm hoping that I'm full time within a couple of years. You know, it's just, I don't know. I mean, we're we're starting to grow. We're up to what four full full time people now. Yeah, so. we're we're gonna hit four in April, like April first actually. Yeah. Um. So we'll hit four of those. Four, two, or two of the founders. There's five founders. Mm -hmm. uh, Justin and Evan <clears throat> are both working back a house, um, and then we've got two people that we've uh, we've hired outside of people that started the company. Mm -hmm. One of which we knew a little bit um, before we actually opened. Um, Cody Anderson, Evan had known him a little bit um, through <clears throat> some connections in the brewing industry, and then. Uh, Alicia, mm -hmm. our uh, taproom manager slash sales um, person, will be somebody we didn't even we, we didn't even know her before. We kind of knew her through the market because mm -hmm. she did come. We knew from, of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had talked to her a few times at 
uh, Packard's and some of her other places. But yeah, we didn't know her that well. Um, we knew of her and we were actually, it was interesting because she came to us, um, you know, asking if we were hiring and feel like we got kind of lucky on that one, which is, which is good. So she's been, been a nice, a nice hire for us so far. And then what are we at? Four or five part-time bar staff? Five, five. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, we're, I don't know where we're, we're not where Coop was at when you started. Probably we're probably about a year behind that, two years behind that. But yeah. but how far in are you guys? Three years, four years? Two mis- and a half. We're having two our and two and a half year yeah. anniversary party March thirtieth. He's yeah. plugging it. There's there a plug goes. right there. So yeah, sure. we're yeah about two and a half years in. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a good spot to be two and a half yeah. years in. I think. I mean, it's so much has changed even in the three years that I joined Coop. Right? Like you, I, you know, sorry to hijack this, but I know you were going to want to talk about some changes that we've seen for sure, right? Yeah. Like when I, when Coop started 10 years ago, 100% of beer had to go through distribution, right? And that was a super tough way to start because you couldn't really make the connection directly across the bar the way that so many other breweries and so many other states can make where you're you're selling that product, they're giving an opportunity to sample. Like people had to take a real risk and invest real money Mm -hmm. into like trying Coop for the first time, right? So that was... That was challenging the same way that you guys had to deal with the first probably year or so of yeah. your existence, right? 100% yep. through distribution. If somebody wanted to buy a Vanessa House beer, they had to invest real money in a lot of cases, right? Yep. Yeah, you could get a pint at a bar here or get a taste at a, at yep. at a pint night or something like that. But to get a pack, you got to you gotta really take a risk, right? And that, mm-hmm. was, that was tough. And then you know, a year into my time at Coop and, and, you know, a year or so into you guys being open, we had the revelation of passing the taproom law, right? Which yep. people don't really give enough credit for what it's done for the beer it's community huge, yeah. in Oklahoma since it passed, right? Um, the ability to have a taproom, not just to offer a couple of samples or something like that, but to have that taproom to be able to bring people kind of into your brand and closer to your brand and get to know what you're all about, what you five guys are all about, mm-hmm. what your inspiration was getting into this, like that connection, being able to make that connection was so critical. And we were really one of the only states in the country that just handcuffed local breweries. And that's why we were 49th in the country in breweries. Mm-hmm. And we're getting better as time's gone on, but but that taproom law really was, I think, the game changer for everybody to, to be able to get into the business if you weren't and to grow, and we've grown exponentially since then, and you guys have as well from from where you were at that point. And then now, obviously, you know, everything's changed with, you know, the state question that was passed and and the new laws that we have now. And we're all sort of trying to figure out what that means, but I think at least we have a more fair marketplace for ourselves to be able to, to go out and build our brands and, and grow our businesses. So, um, and kudos to you guys for, fighting through that tough time early on and, and, and the headwinds were headwinds weren't easy, but, and it's not easy now, but it's a lot easier than it was. Right. Yeah. There's definitely some nice perks. I like, I think from like the sales side of things, can I crack this? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Feel free to move on to the WTF wheat that we're doing here. Um, for my side, I, what's cool about it now is like, I have a, I know where our beer's at now where it was always kind of a guess before, um, with the way that we had to distribute through all the wholesalers, um, getting like accurate reports on where your beer was, was 
impossible. They were non-existent. Yeah. 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 So, Which was insane. And the number one question that we always get is, oh, man, this is good. Where can I get your beer? Where can yep. I get your beer? And I was like, I don't know. But when you find out, you tell me you told so, me so, so I, I can log it. it. <laughs> um, so that's one of the, I mean, it's a, it, it seems like, and I know that like, consumers are probably like, that's such a small thing, but it was a huge thing. Because it, it shouldn't have been that hard, but right. it, it just was. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of little things like that. It, yeah, there are a lot of little things. Like it's, uh, you know, that sound you hear is is people not in the beer industry fast forwarding through this section, but yeah. like because it's super wonky. <laughs> but <clears throat> it's it's really hard to explain how difficult it was to operate a brewery in the state until a couple of years ago, and in the last year, it's it's gotten so gotten so much better. I even look at you guys spending time at the Brewers Union. Like here, you have this asset that exists here in Oklahoma City that challenges us as the oldest brewery in Oklahoma City. But what it does is it provides a gateway for breweries to, you know, people that that don't really maybe want to take the risk or can't take the risk on the capital investment of all that brewing equipment right. to get their product out in the market and get some feedback about whether or not they're going to make it or not without having to take that super big risk of, yeah. of, of all that overhead associated with that. It's presented challenges for us as a brewery because it brings more people in the market more yeah. easily. But we've got so much runway in Oklahoma in regards to like what's available. We're, you know, to get too wonky, craft beer as a whole in the U.S. is about 12% of all of the beer sold. In mm-hmm. Oklahoma, for the first six months of what we can what we can measure in Oklahoma since the new law changed, it's about 2.8%. Yeah, so there's about a 4 to 5x <laughs> multiple runway of growth potential out there for Oklahoma. If we start to mirror the average state, like we don't have to mirror Colorado or California right. or Massachusetts, like we just have to get, just get to the mean. We yeah. use the phrase regress to the mean all the time inside the, inside the building. Yeah. And that's another wonky phrase that you guys being in different worlds, right? understand. But that's what's at play for all of us, right? Yeah. So while we get a little stressed out about the barrier to entry being lower, it's it's really not that big a deal in the big picture because yeah. there's just so much room for growth for the whole industry. And I hate to use the rising tide lifts all ships thing, but like we'll we'll get ours as mm-hmm. the tide rises and mm-hmm. you'll get yours yeah. as the tide rises, but not would not have happened. We wouldn't have had a chance to regress to the mean in any way, shape or form if it wouldn't have been for Senate bill 383 and, mm-hmm. and the new laws passing in the new marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that we've kind of went into that transition into what's going on now and what you're doing. And I think along those lines, I think it's a, uh, something fun to mention or good to mention is kind of like your involvement with the CBAO, our involvement with CBAO. On our first episode, we had Shay on and she talked a lot about it. Um, But like hearing your background and with being in that world, you being part of the CBAO and being very hands-on the CBAO, CBAO, um, is a huge benefit, which yeah. I, you know, I think I knew your background a little bit, but I didn't realize it was sure. all sure. that much. Inter- so it's it, like, oh, wow. Jeez. I knew it was MD supply. I did not know. Sure. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, interestingly enough, um, Patrick Lively, who's our president. So, um, not to drop too many names that people may or may not know Patrick Lively, who was at Anthem, who's opening Lively Beer Works now mm-hmm. his own venture. Patrick's the president. Patrick was a brewer at Coop years ago before mm-hmm. he moved on to Anthem and now starting his own thing. Adam Marshall, one of the brothers yeah. who's really outside of Marshall, not Eric, who's running the operations, but Adam runs his own uh, legal practice as well. He's the vice president. I'm the treasurer. Um, Adam brings a great deal of obviously, you know, of, mm-hmm. of assets in regards to his his legal background, right? 
right? Right. If we need to draft legislation, which we do all the time or suggest legislation, Adam's really the point person on that. But myself, with my political background and having actually worked at the Capitol for uh, for uh, Lieutenant Governor Askins during a period of time, I've been very familiar with the building and a lot of the personalities. So myself having that background, I think, gives us a little bit of an advantage, sort of understanding how to navigate the system. But also Patrick, who I mentioned, Patrick was in politics as well as a campaign worker for several years before mm -hmm. he moved on to the beer business. So it's a really unique group. Now we've got other members of the board, uh, Jonathan at 405, uh -huh. Adrian at Stonecloud, Jacob at Heirloom, and uh, Blaine at Roughtail, right? right? So seven people on the board. But the three of us primarily handle the governmental affairs, and the, the rest of them do play roles in the organization, primarily fundraising right. uh, to help support the lobbying efforts. But we have a pretty good kind of political core of folks that are on the board of directors. And Without sounding like I'm going to break my arm patting myself on the back, I'm really not going to talk about me <laughs> in the context of this. I'm going to talk about the whole team of us that have we. I think we made monumental changes in the in the way that the, the legislative framework of how beer goes to market in Oklahoma in the last two years. Mm -hmm. And I think that has everything to do with Adam and Patrick and our and my experience on how to navigate. We we were able to get a lot of beneficial laws into 383, although they weren't perfect. As an example, you know beer can only be sold to 9% ABV in grocery stores, where wine can be sold to 15% in ABV in grocery stores. Right. That's a that's a, a disparity that we don't like. Yeah, but we're all smart sense, enough to know that the bigger picture was be supportive of the bill, go back and fight nine versus 15 later, <clears throat> yep. and, get, and open up those grocery markets to F5 IPA, which is 7%, it couldn't be sold there, right? Yeah. That's 55% of what we make and sell. Open it up to your brands that are below 9%. And then try to go back and make some incremental steps forward. And so we're hopeful that this year we're going to move that from 9 to 15%. And there's some pretty positive momentum behind getting that up there so that brands like Bomb that everybody knows that yeah, currently can't right. be sold in grocery stores will be available in those spaces for the sake of convenience in the right spaces, right? You can see Bomb in a place like Whole Foods or Sprouts, yeah, yeah. but not every homeland, right? So it's not as if— Or probably going to be at Aldi. You know, but exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, the, so there are lots of those brands. So, but my point is, is that, you know, starting with the passage of the taproom bill, then what we were able to get in 383 to move on to the state question. And then, you know, our big legislative uh, victory last year, which really only benefits Coop in the short term, but we believe benefits all the breweries in the association in the long term is that you know the definition of a small brewer that gave you kind of local brewery rights was any brewery that brewed up to 25,000 barrels. Well, we're gonna reach that point, knock wood, at the current trajectory in a year and a half, maybe end of two years, by about the time we move into the armory, which maybe we'll touch on later, but um, by the time we're able to move into there, we would be at that point. And to have a brewery have success, but then lose all the rights, including the ability to sell at a tap room, the ability to self-distribute, mm -hmm. the ability to go to fairs and festivals to promote your product out in the out in the marketplace, out in out in in the public. We would have faced the the prospect of losing that, and then the next one behind us, like Anthem, or the next one behind us, like Prairie, or the next one behind us, like Marshall, or whomever, or Vanessa yeah. House down the road would all face the possibility that they would lose those rights just by some arbitrary number that really didn't make us a big brewery suddenly. We weren't a big brewery suddenly, right? right. So we were able to get that extended up to <clears throat> 65,000 barrels. And now this year, we're working on a handful of things that really just clean up. Like right now, there's a little ambiguity about whether children can be in tap rooms. Um, 
and we want to just make sure that that ambiguity goes away. Yeah. Able is letting us kind of operate yeah. under those assumptions. There are some other things uh, like flights, for instance, right? right. Yeah. There's a, That's been a big there's a rule thing. now that a law, the law says that you can't serve any more than two drinks to a customer, but With it doesn't no definition say, of what a drink but it doesn't say is. what a drink is. Right. Yeah. And so you can go to an establishment that sells 96 ounce towers of F5, right? Mm -hmm. And you could order two of those, but what you can't do is get four two ounce pours <laughs> yeah, right. of Coop product, right? Yeah. That's nonsensical. And Abel knows it's nonsensical, but they can't do anything about it because the legislature changes laws. Abel doesn't change laws. So yeah. that I think we're going to get changed this year. But but those are all things that I think just the, the foresight of the Patrick's and the, and the Adams of the world to say, like, let's not let perfect get in the, in the way of good. Mm -hmm. Let's make things good and then let's make them better. Let's just let's keep make working, them, keep the conversation going. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to that end, what we've gotten is a lot of credit at the legislature for being patient and being very narrowly focused on beer, what we call staying in our lane. We don't mess with anything on the distribution side. We don't take a position on that. We don't play politics with distributors mm -hmm. in exchange for getting something for beer. We don't play politics with wine in exchange for getting something for beer. And that's not always the case with other industries. And I'm right. not trying to, to pinpoint those two as people that do that. They don't. Yeah. But it's the game of politics at the Capitol is, is real. And we don't really play that game. We deal only with beer. We stay in our lane. And Patrick and Adam and I have gotten a lot of credit from the legislators on that. And I think it makes us um, it makes us a little bit better of like, sort of good faith actors at the Capitol in their mind. So um, I'm super proud of the, the the progress we've made in the last three years. Really, and I have to mention this, really started by uh, Zach at Prairie, who was our president when I came on the board uh, two years ago and and stepped off of the board so that he could run for city, in part so he could run for city council in, in McAllister. Now he's a city councilor there and he's running a growing business. So this really, the whole momentum was started by Zach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been, we talked about it when Shay was on, but we, we joined up with the what was then the guild and then eventually became the yep. CBAO very early. Um, I think we saw the value in it, saw the changing of the guard. And speaking about your background and how beneficial that is, our backgrounds are, I've been working in HR for 13 years. Yep. Zach, you're, you know, engineering, engineering slash finance. Yeah, we've got an architect. We've got a film kid, and that was Evan, yep. Ann Arbor. Like, we definitely needed some help on that and understanding a lot of that stuff. Sure. So it's been an invaluable thing. And it's, uh, I think, for us uh, to be a part of. And I'm hoping we can be more and more active in it as we grow and we get more time. Once we get our, our business more, you right. know, we're not spending I wish 60 I could hours create a week. more time. Yeah, that'd be right. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Patrick and I talk about that all the time. I mean, first of all, we don't just lobby, right? We Our association spends a great deal of time engaging in member services so mm -hmm. that the Vanessa Houses of the world or the 405s of the world or any number of these other breweries that are have become members either before I got here or since, they all feel like that um, not only is somebody up there sort of fighting for kind of equal rights for all the breweries across the board, but also that they don't have to be experts in the nuances of the law, right? We can, we the three of us and Shay and even others can kind of translate for the breweries that either don't have the expertise or don't have the time or don't have the money to hire a lawyer to help them right. figure that stuff out. We don't serve as the members lawyers, but Andrew, you and I talked on several occasions yep. about, you know, 
can do this, can't do that. This is what the law says. If you want to go get a lawyer to help you with that, that's great. But this is the way this reads. Right. And Adam is... You know, I bug Ad, him all the time. Yeah, Adam <laughs> serves as de facto but, counsel but, for the. Yeah. I know he's not going to like to hear that, but yeah. <laughs> but but not because we force him to, but because he's he's willing, able, and ready to do that at yeah. all times. And that's yeah. just that's in keeping with the spirit of the craft beer community in Oklahoma, and I think in a lot of states, but not every state. Let's be honest, right? Like yeah. we see fractured states yeah. and guilds. We're not there right now. We're. I hope we'll never be there. Yeah. But uh, we focus a lot and talk a lot about member services and making sure that what we do at the Capitol, what we do at even the city government level in a lot of cases gets translated out to the breweries that just don't have the time or resources to do these things themselves or kind of or, or dive into them or, God forbid, hire lawyers in a lot of cases. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a messy it's a messy deal. I, you know, I said uh, human resources within that I read a lot of rules and regulations all sure. the time and it's, it's, and I'm not an attorney by any means. And the, the, you're always second guessing yourself when you're reading that stuff, even when you know it pretty well. Yeah. So having you guys there that know those laws and regulations better than we do, or spend more time in it at least sure. is very helpful. I still have to read every bill seven times before I understand what the heck they're yeah. trying to do up right. there, right? But mm -hmm. it's it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. We figure it out. And, yeah. and then you'll probably find uh, something seven pages, maybe 10 pages down the road that kind of contradicts it, maybe. <laughs> yeah. or, or what you'll find yeah. that when we call it playing defense, <clears throat> what you'll find is you'll find another interest within the industry that is trying to do something that benefits them, but is a negative impact to us as breweries, right? Like, uh -huh. You know, there was something that floated around from one special interest in the industry that wanted to put flow meters on our tanks so that they could monitor how much we're, we're selling and how much we're paying excise tax for, which, by the way, we pay our excise taxes to the federal government. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we do have meters on our tanks. We don't need to have digital meters that read that, you know, read to a database in real time or anything like that. It's and also, by the way, it's a federal violation to yeah. cheat on your taxes, right? Yeah. So who's interested in putting their license at risk over a few pennies? Yeah. But like those are the things that were just going to cost us money. It wasn't as if we didn't want to pay our taxes. We do. Our license is at risk. What we didn't want to do is have to spend thirty, forty thousand dollars putting expensive flow meters on tanks, which were completely unnecessary. We yeah. had monitoring systems. We have monitoring systems on them today. So those are the kind of things we have to watch out for all the time that others that are motivated in different ways might try to put things out there and we're constantly looking for them that that are, have a negative impact on the on our businesses as a whole. And they affect every one of us across the board. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, that, that's a fun little uh, legislative update and <laughs> all that good stuff. Uh, so what about Coop? So what's going on at Coop right now? What are you like most excited about with Coop and really just yourself and what you got going on there? Yeah, I mean, it's... I think the the answer that most people would expect and that I think is is true to some extent is you know looking forward to and beginning the process of building what is going to be our third and final brewery. Um, you know we for and I say we I wasn't involved in the brewery when it first started obviously 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the three guys started at 51st and Western behind the 51st Street Speakeasy. And fun little aside, we uh, looked at that building when we were looking for a building very early on. Uh, gosh, it was we really weren't even super serious about getting a building yet, but we were 
getting to lay the land, mm-hmm. seeing what was out there. And I remember we walked in there, and one of the things that we were like, how the hell did Coop brew anything in this <laughs> in here? building? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the the fun guy to have that conversation with is someone like Blake, who went through that dark period of time of having to brew in that space and, yeah. you know, direct fire kettles and, um, and just all of the funkiness of trying to figure that out for the first time. And, you know, those guys did then what they do now, which is go around and visit a lot of breweries and try to, you know, figure out what it is that they need to do in the space. And that's what we're doing for the third space. But, uh, the stories are, the stories are pretty fun. I hope you guys get to hear them sometime from Blake. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. It was so compact and there was something weird about the, the mill and the auger, if I remember right. Mm, The mill and auger should have been gone. Right. Well, at least the, like the box, you could see the, the box that was built for it and the placement of it. I think I remember Evan saying something like this is absolute absolutely insane i could be making all of this up my head but i just remember a lot of like what the having having not been there uh, i can't i can't vouch for any of those stories but uh but no so moving forward we you know again predating me getting there you know growing out of the 51st street speakeasy place fairly quickly um and being that the laws at the time didn't allow you to operate a tap room, you know, 100% distribution, 100% package or, or draft brewery out the door. Um, they identified the space that we're in now, which is at uh, uh, Southwest 47th and Council, uh, mm-hmm. 4705 mm-hmm. Council Heights Road, if you're ever looking, right next to Western Heights High School. Um, not right next to, but you get the point. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, moved into that space. And really, uh, if as Daniel tells it, and what I believe to be true is, with no prospect to operate a tap room, that made sense. it really like you guys understand from a financial perspective, find yourself some manufacturing real estate that yeah. has good ingress and egress to distribution routes, i.e. highways. You can get trucks in and out of for distribution. And that's really 100% of your business. And then the tap room bill passes later. And that's been great. And we're still continuing to grow even though the tap room isn't a gigantic portion of our business. Uh, it's still a good portion of our business and we enjoy entertaining people out there. But now we're to the point where we're growing out of our current space. I mean, uh, a few of you guys were out uh, last weekend for the anniversary party. I know you guys have been out from time to time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just added the new canning line. We added a, a couple of, uh, you know, 240 barrel fermenters behind the building. We're busting at the seams at this place. And so we know we have to move. And, and Daniel began looking for real estate a year, year and a half ago. And, you know, shortly after the taproom bill and as, as, uh, Senate Bill 383 was becoming a reality and moving to the ballot, um, knowing that what he wanted to do was land in the urban core like you guys obviously Mm -hmm. wanted to, right? Right. Uh, (laughs) You want to be where the foot traffic is. You want to be where the excitement is, right? They say on Cheers, you want to be where the people are. Exactly. So looked for a lot of real estate and really – you guys searched, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, there was a lot of overvaluation of real estate in the urban mm-hmm. core and yeah. still is, right? Because uh, it's it's been it's been redeveloped. A lot of it's been redeveloped and it's exciting as a guy that lives and we're sitting in the tower studio right now. I live seven blocks south of here in Midtown. I, when my wife and I bought that house, we ate at Cheevers or we ate at Cheevers, right? Yeah. And it's been yeah. exciting to see this place kind of pop up around us and we're super super thrilled about that so we knew we needed to be back here but we also knew we needed certain things a significant amount of space we still needed ingress egress because 99 percent of what we sell goes out the door into distribution 
So we turned down a few opportunities over, over, over time and then eventually uh, kind of stumbled across the armory, were pretty interested in it. And I know Daniel went to the state having heard kind of anecdotally out in the community that the state was was potentially going to put that building up for sale, that they had to liquidate some unused or underutilized properties. And so Daniel went to the to OMES, the state agency, asked if that was true, that it was going to be put up. And all they could do was confirm that, you know, I think essentially, yes, that it, it will be. There will be an mm-hmm. opportunity somewhere down the road. So we even began in advance of that property being put up for RFP. We began in advance of starting to conceptualize what we would do in the space. And then once it got put up for RFP, we were able to get in and make some measurements and make our proposal. And we were really one of only two developers to propose to purchase that building. Uh, One was a true developer in Midtown uh, that didn't really have a a concrete plan for it. And we brought a concrete plan for owner operator of the building. And so that was really the attractiveness according to uh, those that we've heard that reviewed the proposals. That was the most attractive nature of it is that the person, the entity buying it was gonna operate it also. And so uh, we were lucky enough to get awarded that piece of property six months ago. Um, and, and that really is the majority of what Daniel's doing, a lot of what Blake's doing on the brewer, brew house engineering side, and a lot of what I'm doing in regards to conceptualizing the hospitality spaces inside, uh-huh. inside that brewery. Yeah. So it, will there be a room available that I can just have? Because <laughs> <laughs> I like how you phrased that. <laughs> the Andrew Corrales <laughs> Memorial Villa. Yeah. 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 No, that, no, that's okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Just so that's talk, what, to, talk to Daniel about it. We'll um, do that. And get back to me. I'm sure. I'm sure. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it's a, uh, it's an interesting thing. I mean, the concept of, I mean, the reality is, is the, the building and the property is too big for just a brewery, yeah. right? Um, it's, almost 80,000 square feet in the building. We bought about nine acres of surrounding land. We're gonna knock down some buildings for surface parking. Parking. We're gonna redevelop another building. But as we were, again, conceptualizing what we could do with all that space, it became really clear that we had the opportunity to diversify our business outside of just package distribution beer, which is always mm-hmm. gonna be the core of what we are, right? Getting beer to the market, it's always gonna be about the Coop brand. But to have the opportunity to entertain guests in the facility and really create a showpiece was was what inspired us from the beginning of this. And so for sure we knew we needed to have a food operation inside the Mm -hmm. space. And so we took the second floor that overlooks the Capitol Dome side that goes out onto a roof, an outdoor roof that will be sort of the patio overlooking the Capitol Dome. And we created a concept for a a brew pub style restaurant in that space a little bit. We're we're still working on menu and look and decor and things like that. But the proposal is restaurant. And then on that same side, really more unused space above it, we're going to build a private event space that we'll rent out. We've uh, I've had the opportunity to go to a few breweries like Rheingeist and Surly and Madtree and talk to them about how they manage their private event businesses and they they all three run very robust private event businesses where mm-hmm. they're they're renting out a, a a dedicated room of some size for corporate parties and wedding receptions and weddings themselves and we've had weddings in the brewery on the brew house floor before and so you know we know there's a good revenue stream in private events mm-hmm. and then we really had those same two floors available to us on the other side and in thinking about what to do with it it really just became at some point we some people just in the group just sort of looked at each other and it wasn't a super romantic moment, but I think we all just were like, 
man, a hotel rooms overlooking a brew house would be pretty badass, yeah. right? Um, and so, you know, we, we, we just said, yeah, let's go for it, right? And so initially we had 16 hotel rooms specced in for the third, second and the third floor on the Broadway extension <clears throat> side of the building. And that was the original proposal. We had a couple of exterior buildings that we were buying, uh, the old VA building, which is about 12,000 square feet, and then another small building that we were gonna do uh, like condo living in the 12,000 square foot building, put like 12 units of, of mm -hmm. uh, multifamily housing. And then uh, we were gonna put like a drive-through coffee shop in the 2,000 square foot building. And we started running numbers and we realized like, first of all, like we didn't really have enough hotel rooms to make it kind of a viable destination. Mm. And that if we took the condos, the multifamily living, and we turned those into an extension of the hotel, that we were gonna generate a significant amount more revenue uh, by, through, those, through those kind of villas uh, over time. And then finally, um, I ended up going out to visit the hotel of a potential operating partner that we were looking at in uh, Palm Springs and really just fell in love with how they used, essentially they used a Vegas style pool in the center of this hotel complex to really tie this whole big space together. And so kind of brought that concept back to Daniel and we took a look at uh, kind of what that would cost and what kind of revenue that would bring. And we ended up deciding essentially to put that Vegas style pool and by Vegas style, I mean, you guys know what I mean. There'll yeah. be some cabanas that you can rent. We'll, there'll be a full bar there. There'll be food service there. Um, it, it'll be a place it'll be a fun place for the, for the hotel guests, but it'll also be a fun place for, um, just the general public in, in the area to come in and, and hang out and, and yeah, experience think, Coop a little bit more. That sounds awesome. I think that like next to that would be a good place for my room. <laughs> He's not going to move off of this. <laughs> well, um, I think, yeah, I think like there's some legal issues with you being there. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to let you take your binoculars into the room yeah. or anything like that. So I, I'm, it would be a, a microscope. <laughs> not a no, not a microscope. A, uh, telescope. Telescope. That's telescope. the one. Yeah. The opposite. Yeah. Opera yeah. glasses. Yeah, yeah, there we go. It'll right. be it'll be very classy. So, yeah. So that's where we are with it now, which sounds like a really big, ambitious project, and we think it is. But yeah. we also think we can pull it off. We think Oklahoma can support it, and you know, it, we we do we do think it's a, a a destination for people that are coming from out of town, mm -hmm. not just a place that'll be hip and exciting for the people that live in Oklahoma City for a short period of time and then move on to the next new thing. We really think with the convention center being built, the Omni Hotel being built, yeah. the Thunder obviously being there, uh, what still continues to happen in Midtown, that we're going to see a lot more tourists coming in, especially on the convention side uh, in the future. And so we're luckily kind of timed to open up about the same time the convention yeah. center opens up. I mean, we look forward to having people from Kansas City and Omaha and Dallas and Houston, places where we actually distribute beer to out-of-state markets, having the opportunity to come experience us when they come for conventions or softball mm -hmm. tournaments at ASA or things like that, right? right. So. And I can, to circle back to the whole rising tide deal, I see, I can see that being like a good multiplier for everybody that's downtown as well from a brewing standpoint. I mean, because right now you've got us and Prairie and Elk Valley and... Um, Twisted Spike, Spike and you know we're not Ross that far. Ross Scotsman, and, and, yeah, yeah. yeah we're, none of us are that far from you guys. People are going to stay there, uh, and they'll probably start there or maybe end at your place, but they'll get out and get to come see all of us too. So. You guys know damn yeah. good and well what's happening in Asheville, North Carolina, yeah. right? Uh -huh. That whole 
brewing community in Asheville, North Carolina, not exactly a place you would have thought that people would go to, mm -hmm. to experience beer for a weekend. Like that is an amazing model for how a city should do beer in the uh -huh. urban core. And I think that Oklahoma City is getting that done for them just simply from, just simply by the entrepreneurial kind of initiative of guys like you and guys like Ross and Angry Scotsman and, and ourselves, who are maybe to some extent investing a little bit more than we're comfortable with being in a place like that. But by kind of clustering together, what we're really doing in the future and right now and more so in the future is creating a real sort of craft beer destination, mm -hmm. not just our place, but all of our places combined in the urban core of Oklahoma City. And I can tell you that like tourism is super excited about all of the development, mm -hmm. not just our project, but but all of that happening. And uh, I won't be as bold as to say that Oklahoma City is the next Asheville, but why the hell not, right? Right. I mean, why not? We make good beer. People are coming on board all the time that are making better and better beer and pushing us. Um, and, and we keep why do we forget about stone cloud like they're the old man in midtown right know, like yeah, yeah. joel's just do you want to talk about a guy when you say somebody's brewing beer that's pushing us all to be better right uh -huh. joel's yeah. doing that right yeah. now and so um i'm super excited about the fact that we that conceptually we could be the one of the hottest beer destinations in the country in the next three to five years. I feel like we've been getting uh, recently over the last two or three weeks. I, I, we've, I've, when I've been in the tap room, I've met multiple people from out of town. Um, there was a guy in last week. He was him and his wife were here for a math convention. Funny enough, um, there was a fun conversation about how his wife calls him a nerd, and he was like, "I'm here for your math convention." convention. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were from, I want to say the Northeast. Um, and, no, I take that back. They were from uh, Florida. And they were like, yeah, you guys are, there's a lot of good beer here. And just the other night, there were some people down from uh, Oregon. And they're like, yeah, we've been. And actually, so the guy was from Oregon and his brother-in-law lives here. And, they, and he's been coming down for years and years and years. So he's actually kind of been seeing the growth uh, of Oklahoma City. Yep. And it was the first time he's been in our tap room, and he's like, yeah, you guys are great. We know the ones that we hit down here. It's the first time we've been in, and what's happening in Oklahoma is crazy. Your beer is right up there with what I'm getting in, in Oregon, and that's you know that's a big compliment. Yeah, when you talk about, it's a huge statement. Yeah, when you start talking about, like, beer <clears throat> destination cities and the mecca of beers, if you will, you've got, you know, Portland, Oregon, and sure. uh, Denver, and, you know, what's you know any any number of others yeah. that are the big ones and to be lumped in with that with what's going on is is cool and and those are just two examples but that that's been happening happening more and more and more at arbor and i know guys that are seeing that at, at stone cloud and mm -hmm. and oak valley and prairie and Twisted yeah. Bike and all that stuff so yeah and i think like i think dallas doesn't have that opportunity right just the nature of dallas as a mm -hmm. city yeah, yeah. They, they don't have that opportunity i mean right. we know communities down there brain dead and some other places that are but it's like even the urban core of Dallas is so vast and spread yeah. out, right? But then you look at places like you've talked about some of the places that we all know and love and they're very mm -hmm. kind of tightly dense with breweries. You know, take a look at Cincinnati. Like don't sleep on mm -hmm. Cincinnati. Like what Ryan Geist did, yep. recapturing and infilling some of uh, some of the, the blight and Taft and 
you know, Mad Tree's a little further out, but like you go across the border uh, into Northern Kentucky into Braxton, like it's a $5 Uber ride max and maybe a $2 scooter ride to get to seven breweries if you're standing at Rheingeist and you're done with the Rheingeist experience. And those guys have just exploded. Like that's that's a massive brewery, right? And I, I, the, yeah, I would love to see like a documentary on like Rheingeist, like beginning to now and trust me like, they're savvy enough that i bet it's in pipeline oh somewhere gosh, like yeah. those guys we you know we a lot of people talk about in the in the beer business or brewing business and craft beer especially like again we romanticize and rightly so like the beer itself and a lot of people just spend a lot of time talking about mm -hmm. brewers and the art of brewing beer and things like that but these are businesses too right and, yep. yeah and what rheingeist does really well is Great beer is table stakes for them. Like that's what you have to do to get to the table inside Ryan guys. But they're a marketing and sales beast, right? Yeah, and they're, they're uh, a great, yeah. great business. Like don't even talk about beer. Like that's a great, great business. The way that, you know, the, the way that modern times is a great business. Like yeah. they make good beer. They're a great business. Yeah. Yeah. I find my, I'm looking, I've been, I've followed Ryan guys for a while on Instagram. I remember reading, an article years ago about how they are just one of Killing the it. leading people when it comes to social media marketing. And it's it. just, it's fantastic. Like yeah. everything they do is it's engaging. It's, it makes, I want to go there right now. Just, right. You know, and they are very good Let's at what they flight. do. Yeah. Let's go for sure. It's a great place, by the way, God. it's a yeah, ton of fun. And those guys are super helpful. We're supposed to go to Boston first of April. Can we think we can just switch it? Yeah, we probably we're, could. Yeah, yeah we I mean, people don't think about Cincinnati, but it's yeah. like it's a great beer town. I was listening to, to that point. Like I was listening to a podcast, a Brewbound podcast um, on my way home this afternoon. And I was the owner of Fort Point Brewery and outside of San Francisco in the Presidio. And, you know, talk about a great business, like good brewery but a great business. I mean, they own their own distribution. They own their own distribution company. They've got a really robust sales and marketing team. They're up in the 20, $25 million forecasted this year range, three years into that business. And it's not as if these are just a bunch of tech nerds that just decided to go mess around with craft beer or something yeah. like that because they heard it was cool. These are beer guys that have raised some money and started their business the right way. And they're very disciplined in the way that they run their business. And I think that's admirable. And I think that's What's going to separate, you know, 500 breweries that survive and strive from the 7,000 that, you know, may struggle mm -hmm. moving down the road, mm -hmm. right? We're up yeah. to 7,500 or so breweries in the U.S. now. We're on our way to 10, maybe 12 in some people's projections. And that's okay, right? Because yeah. not all of them want to be Rheingeist. Right, right, right. right? right? There's, there's space idea. for the neighborhood. There's space for the neighborhood brewery. There's space for, you know five brew pubs that only serve a local market or something like that. Like there's a lot of different business models in our industry that work and, and that will work. But those that are going to survive or strive, I think really are going to be the ones that look at their business as a business and don't, don't always just, you know, don't always just fall back on the, it's craft beer thing. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. We talk about that a lot in we terms do. of the balance. Yeah. Cause there's always a balance to that. Right. And if you go, I frankly, if you go one too far one way or the other, you're, right. you're probably going to lose something. Yeah, you you yeah. will get called out as a poser in a heartbeat if you don't yeah. have great beer. Right. And if beer isn't the core of what you do. Mm -hmm. And that's where Blake is the heartbeat of what we do as a brewery, right? Because uh -huh. we're, we're not going to cut corner. We may brew a different style. 
It's going to be our interpretation on a different style. It's going yeah. to be the beer that Blake wants to drink. And so that's something that business guys in our organization never get in the middle of, right? right yeah. um, we'll go out and market the beer. We'll go out and sell the beer. We'll make sure that the funding's there to make the beer and to get the again to get the packaging. But you you will get exposed as a total poser and a complete fraud if you're in this just for the business. Yeah. You do have to balance the two things. Oh. And I think it's I think it's really easy for people to tell too like it's absolutely it's so easy to. how did tell. we miss wicked weed how do we miss all the signs yeah. on wicked weed yeah like that they were they were financed by the bros from proactive for god's sakes like that was a brewery that was built to sell. That. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Go, like goothy rinker or whatever the company that was the direct to market proactive mm -hmm. company that's how that's who funded like their startup like we, yeah we, we missed oh we, wow we, yeah we missed all the signs like you yeah. missed all the signs on a four corners that got you know purchased and down by constellation and in, in dallas now in retrospect like you knew that those breweries were to some degree golden road's the best example like golden road was a brewery built to sell yeah right and but but I think now the way that we're all able to tell that people are frauds is we see, can see the signs a little bit better yeah. now. And and if you're not really genuine in the product that you put out, you can be great business people. You can have the best financing. But if there's not a genuine nature to the beer that you put out in the market, then you're the local people for sure. Absolutely. They're going to they're yeah. trash you like they're you're yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah, they certainly will. Uh, I'm gonna take a little aside here to talk. So we're drinking. We just popped the uh, the anniversary beer. We did, um, and it's really good. I'm enjoying it. And let's Zach can you like uh, me to can pour him some. I I don't actually do anything myself. I I'm really good at delegating. Yeah. Is that what you call it? Yeah, that's what I call it. That's yeah. nice. Just with Andrew, he's the only one that buys it. <laughs> Everybody else knows a line. Yeah, so we did this just for the people that came to the anniversary party. This product is, uh, we're not going to sell it in the tap room afterwards. We're not going to put it, you know, out in the market at liquor stores or anything like that. Not because we don't want everybody to have an opportunity, but we really wanted to incentivize those that took the time and, and donated their hard-earned money to the Humane Society to come out to our event and make it yep. really special to them. I think that, and we all agreed, that... I, if we were those people that went to this event, spent the money, put in the time and effort, and if I walked into a store to see the anniversary beer on the shelf two weeks later, I'd be pretty pissed about I'd, that. Yeah, I'd, I'd right? be, like that's. I'd be yeah. upset. It I don't was know a no-brainer to us, yeah. but like we we really talked about. It. We were like, no, no, no. We we're absolutely hardcore. I'd tip a shelf or two, probably. What's that? I'd tip a shelf or two. He's got <laughs> anger issues, sure. though. For so sure. it's not surprising. Uh, no, it's it's real. It's really good. And, Thanks. Uh, I would like to call the bottle. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I think that's a sexy bottle, which irritates me that you'd like that. It's just because it's really clean and like it's super clean. Yeah. And you usually are like, I want like as detailed a comic book artist. I bottle. do like that stuff a lot. But I mean, I really like our labels, which are usually pretty clean too. Yeah. Yeah. Your but, your branding is clean though, right? Yeah, yeah. Like whatever whatever natural tendency you have in regards to like mid 90s rock metal album covers yeah. or whatever or that aesthetic <laughs> if that's what we're talking about here yeah. like if you if what you want is a megadeth album cover on a bottle you're fighting that tendency really well because <laughs> yeah. your brand is really stupid clean right yeah. like yeah. it's there's it's, gonna be like one day where we cave to them and like there's gonna be one beer that like comes yeah, out and looks like, like that uh, it's gonna be this zombie dusk-esque yeah. type of just dark crazy thing oh yeah like three floyds yeah. bottles are a good yeah. example of like what yeah. you would <laughs> three, three yeah. floyds is the best example right yeah. like that's yeah. Uh, 
uh, clown shoes, right? Like clown it's not yeah, just something yeah. where like clown shoes is super, super messy. What, but three Floyds and clown shoes have created a brand that's extended across yeah. all yep. the products, right? Yeah. Same thing that you guys have done with your packaging. Like yep. when you put a new product out, it is so obviously a Vanessa house product and you can tap into that emotional reaction people have had with other Vanessa house products at the end. And that's what we've really focused on with coop. We've got some mm -hmm. really, really specific brand standards that sounds unsexy in the sort of the mechanics of the business part of this mm -hmm. business. Right. But if you are going to try, if you're going to put product out that has to create a market for itself every single time and doesn't in some way, um, build or, off of yep. the market that's been created by the other brands, then you're just doing it the wrong way. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's what I admire about the way that you guys could keep yeah. it clean and keep it very consistent. Yeah. You're, you're swimming upstream when you do stuff like that for sure. And our branding people, we use nominee here mm -hmm. out of Oklahoma city. Yeah. yeah. They keep us in check too on yeah. that sometimes every now and then we'll like want to yeah. do something. I'll, I always say, don't do stupid s yeah they will want to do stupid oh, can we not curse here? no i okay. i don't know i'm not drunk enough yet <laughs> i said pissed uh, I earlier said shit don't do so stupid far. shit <laughs> i like that from like i like that as a phrase yeah and we occasionally want to do stupid shit yeah and they yeah. stop us from doing it right 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 yeah we got uh we got a nice little new label today we'll oh, maybe yeah. we could tease that a little bit we're we're working on a new uh um seasonal which was a taproom beer our t-shirt company ipa which was the first beer cody ever brewed for yeah, us yeah 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 so we got a nice little first uh, rendition of that today that why did you guys try to run cool. a t-shirt company out of the house or actually something? you you want to tell us yeah we tell stories. so you know it's it's funny like like most guys that get started especially here under the laws you know we were able to serve at charitable events as a brewery and planning by donating our, our mm -hmm. home brew yeah. to those things and so we worked that hard within the year or two before we uh launched and uh, some of the breweries if, uh would you know the good old-fashioned you know ribbing uh would call us just a t-shirt i don't understand company. why we can't say his name he, he's a turd <laughs> and he knows it <laughs> oh good old blaine from rough good old blaine from rough oh, they call <laughs> you the t-shirt company yeah, they call it and you know uh yeah it was, it was yeah t calls a t-shirt company first it was in it was in jest yeah, gotta get yeah, that t-shirt money yeah. it was good fun so we always said that once we get to our forever home the first beer that we make out of there we'd call t-shirt company mm -hmm. so that's what we did and it we did tap room only first and it was well received he created a monster <laughs> yeah so we're gonna release that as a as a seasonal hopefully here in the spring uh late spring cool. probably so and what's the style i must i just didn't hear uh new england ipa uh, okay mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah i didn't say yep. yeah yeah so but yeah we're pretty excited about that label but that um no, I, I do like looking at, at beer labels. Also, and, ironically, and you're going to yeah. do a hazy IPA inspired by Blaine giving you shit. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. is we come that's right rich. At you, boy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all kinds of good stuff. Right? That's cool. So, but yeah, so I guess we can kind of just move on to the, la the you know, kind of we, we take this past, present, future approach to this. Sure. Um, where do you where do you see not only Coop, but yourself? And yeah. we've got the armory coming and I know there'll be a lot of that's a big part of the future, but yep. you know, maybe what else and maybe more on that. Yeah. You know, um, so future, right. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, obviously the armory, but it's about really the, the armory is just a function of our core values as a company, which is the people that belong to the company, the people that the mm -hmm. family that's inside the building, 
that's inside the company, wherever that building and wherever that company is. And so, you know, we're going to have a pretty rapid expansion of hiring as we move into that building. Um, it's going to be a real struggle um, and there are going to be challenges along the way. But, you know, the four of us that are on our leadership team, Lauren uh, Gerfin, our HR director, Blake Jarlam, our head brewer, Daniel Mercer, our co-founder and myself, we spend a lot of time, maybe a disproportionate amount of time, but I don't think so because I'm really, I think we're all really committed to this, talking about the culture of the brewery and what we want that culture to be for the employees. And we've made some, we've made some steps in the last couple of years that, you know, amongst the things that I'm most proud of in the time I've been there is our having the ability to provide health insurance, which is sounds weird, like provide health insurance for every employee, right? Uh, We've got a, we've got a a plan for everybody now um, to start a 401k plan. 20, I didn't know what a 401k was when I was 25 years old. You guys did obviously, because you had Mm. a beer named after it, but, um, (laughs) but like just the ability to, to help mentor some of the young people in our organization in regards to the importance of, 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 of retirement planning um, and, and, and other benefits, you know, we really, we're really proud of, of the culture that we have, but we have constant conversations about how we maintain the culture while also making smart decisions, smart financial decisions for the business. Yeah. And so uh, what I'm looking most forward to is not necessarily the opening of the hotel or opening night of the restaurant. What I'm most looking forward to is seeing the relatively young people in our organization grow into leadership positions into that space and really spread their wings and become uh, become whatever their potential is in those spaces. And, and, and also to see the new people that we bring on and how they incorporate into our culture. And so um, that's not the, that's not the like, we're going to make this beer and then we're going to move to this market. Like really that's a, it's just a more existential conversation we have mm. about what we want to be moving forward, what we want to be in the future. What we want to be is the kind of place we want to go work at every day. And we want everybody to feel the way that we do. And so I'm super excited about that and what challenges that brings, but then also how fulfilling it's going to be to see people that we love that we care for that we, that we really genuinely care about grow to their, potential. And that, that's what we're hopeful for. That's uh, really nice to hear. I mentioned that my background's HR and mm-hmm. I'm in recruitment and placement. And, yeah. and for a large organization that is the federal government. And I like, like how you were like, oh, I'm going to not say <laughs> How's the culture there? And then as, as long as I don't <laughs> say the agency, I think I'm fine. Sure. Um, uh, and it's, it's, it's frustrates me a lot of times because it's so regular. It's just rules and regs. Like we, there's no f- focus on that. Right. It's just like, can it's all just like, can I hire this person legally? Can I do this legally? Can I do that? There's no real investment in the person. Um, but, you know, I did take a lot of those classes within my education, and that was the stuff I was gravitated towards within that. I was like, yeah, how do we make people better? And I think we talk a lot about those same things, uh, building a strong culture with employees. Um, and I, it's super important. Like, and, a diver- and a diverse culture, which yeah, has been yeah. critically important for us. I mean, a lot of our growth in employment has been – people of color and, and females. And that's not a, you know, we're not working on a quota system. We're trying to, it's new ideas. We're it's trying to bring ideas into the building. It's, that's yeah. exactly right. Like yeah. that's, we, we have to reflect the consumer base that we hope to serve and the community yeah. that we hope to serve. And that's been 
the that's that's been really the motivational force as we've hired in the last couple of years and will be as we move forward. Mm-hmm. What's super interesting to you, like for us, and you touched on it, is we've got it's all young people, relatively like at our place, and it's like these people haven't ever led other people before right. in their entire lives, and so it's mm-hmm. like all new to them, and so you've got to like invest in those people so that they can develop the skills to lead all these other people. Um, and it's great. It's, it's a blessing and a curse. It's like, it's, it's great. Cause like you get to like help them not build like bad habits, like ever, um, tell them all the things you, you do as a leader that yeah. like you need to like knock off. Um, and so you get to kind of mold that culture, like through bringing those young people up and, and training them up on like leadership. And, and, so. and we've got the benefit moving into the armory in 18 to 20 something months. You know, we, we did a nauseating exercise where we, um, we forecasted out what our, our staffing situation, our entire staffing situation is going to look like. And it's going to be 100 plus. It's going to go from 30 to 100, 120, 140 mm-hmm. when we get fully operational. And we, we built an org chart with just bubbles and places for where people were going to be. And to see how vertical that organizational chart is right now to how horizontal and spread out it's going to be in the future, yeah. we sh- it's shocking how wide that organizational yep. chart is going to be. But what it's allowed us to do is to also identify people that are in the organization right now, people like our, our accounting and regulatory specialist, and encourage him to go back and get his master's in accountancy so that he can lead the finance department, which yeah. will be an actual department when we move forward. Uh-huh. Yeah. To take our event coordinator, who we've identified as the person who's going to be leading what we hope would be a multi-million dollar, you know, two to three to four million dollar private event business and to have her go back and get her MBA so she can learn and and be really, really well versed in, you know, all of the language and what and and, and the, the financial literacy that's needed to be able to run a whole silo, a whole business division yep. of an organization. So by identifying those things, we've been able to work with some of the people who are going to be running those business divisions moving forward that are inside the business and we've been able to invest. And those are just two examples of several examples where we're investing in a continuing education program for, you know, our, our chief of engineering comes off of our package line. We've identified him. He'll be in charge of uh, the entire maintenance support team Mm -hmm. at the new brewery that will include restaurant and hotel operations and a bar operation and a brewery production floor, identifying that person as a no brainer and trying to invest in him getting the skills that he needs to fill the gaps, to be able to, to execute that position the way he wants to moving forward. So we're, we're lucky enough to have a little bit of time, but we've also, we also think we're doing a pretty good job of planning out what we think we're going to need and identifying the people that exist inside our organization now that can fill those needs so that we can help them fill the gaps that they think they have for those positions moving forward. And, and that's something I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the forethought of, of what we're trying to do yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will, I would say that, uh, I think Coop has a, has a, does have a really good staff. I think that us, Coming up, like we've got to know you really well, and got to know a lot of your staff members really well. Yeah, um, and think you are you guys do hire very well in general. Thanks. Everybody is great between 
I don't know if I should name drop or not, but they're uh, wait. Well, you did just steal one of our guys too. So did uh, we? A, yeah, a, but Aaron. it was oh, a, it was, oh, the new it was a, guy. Yeah. It was a good opportunity was, for him that was, we weren't going to be able to provide. Young yeah. Aaron, we call him. Yeah, young yeah. and and like you mentioned, young Aaron needs insurance, so <laughs> right. it was, it was yeah. good for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, guys. It, it's so <laughs> we enjoy it, having him. No, he's great. It, it's interesting. I, we were actually very happy for him because it was sure. one of the th- reasons we hired him for a part-time bar staff was his background in exactly what you hired him for yeah. was like, man, if we can grow, if he's here, if you can get him in early, hold him. And, then, and but yeah. it, he, he saw an opportunity to accelerate it. And we we're like, Dude, sure. we're, we're super it. happy you for you. It. Sure. So, yeah. I'll trade you somebody. I won't tell you on the air who it'll be, but I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll trade you. All right, let's back. do that. Let's yeah. do that. Right. I just want everybody back at the brewery to wonder <laughs> if it's them. <laughs> let's just leave it, leave <laughs> right. it hanging yeah. in the air. Yeah. yeah. As long as it's not Jeremiah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> God, I've never given him up. <laughs> it's like he and I are business with Rick Astley song. I've never <laughs> given him up. Uh, that's funny. No, um, no, but yeah, great staff, great staff, good people. Thanks. Um, Coop's always been great to us, like everybody we've always. Yeah, we we enjoy having so, you guys, uh, so. having you guys in 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 the business with us, so to speak, and we've enjoyed seeing your growth in in the last three years or so. So, yeah. congratulations on two and a half years and in, in the in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, podcast been fun. So all Andrew's idea. Yeah, all me. I'm jealous. Nobody else's. Just kidding. I'm I like sure to talk if you can't talk about it. <laughs> but uh yeah man so i guess we're, we're probably about reaching our time on this stuff so uh kind of wrap up what we'd like to do at the end is just kind of give uh, opportunity for plugs um whatever you got going on and what people can expect uh in the near future we'll try to get this thing out probably within a week two sure. weeks so yeah i mean so uh, we're we're excited about uh, a special project that the brewers have dreamed up. Uh, you guys might have seen it's it's still fairly early in this project, but it's what's called the ID series. Uh, mm-hmm. And for the three million people that download this podcast, we'll finally have the answer <laughs> of whether it's ID or ID. Yeah, um, it's ID. And so inspired by Sigmund Freud's concept of the ID, uh, which is the essentially which is your impulse control or sometimes lack of it and sex drive uh, and others. What really that that project uh, and, and the the genesis of that project really came from the brewers coming to, uh, and brew, really brewers, Blake, with the other brewers' input, coming to us and saying, hey, we really want a series of beers that will just allow us to, you know, brew what we want to brew. And if we like it, we want it to be able to go out to the public. We don't want to have to recreate it every time necessarily. But if I feel like getting up there and doing a Peach Berliner Vice and I like it, I want to have the ability to put it out. And we're like, hell yeah, we want to too, you know? So, you know, it gives us a chance to monkey around with some sours. Like I brought you guys in number four, which is the sour farmhouse ale that we'll crack open uh, hopefully after we, we go off air here. Oh, yeah. We'll um, and so the the ID series really is the impulse control for the brewers. It's what they want to brew, when they want to brew it, how they feel that day. And if in the end they brew it and they endorse it and they want people to drink it, then we as marketing team, we put it out under the id label and we put it out as a series. So id one was a um, breaded Saison that was aged in Chardonnay barrels and aged on persimmons. It was like a a project that had been going on for years, like maybe two, two and a half, three years in in some cases. And then id two was a kettle soured peach Berliner Weiss, right? That a lot of people had had in the tap room and really liked. And it's the style that that Blake and Will, our, our, our other lead brewer really likes. And so we're up to like eight or nine right now. I mean, we're seven or eight right now. Um, and in the middle of April, we're going to put out 
uh, ID2 Batch 2, which is a Peach Berliner Weiss, and it's our second batch of uh, Peach Berliner Weiss. And I don't know what Blake's done to tweak the recipe at all, but I think he's tweaked the recipe a little bit. And so that'll be ID2 Batch 2. We'll go back to ID number two. And then after that's done, we'll put out a few more. I think there's a sour brown, like almost a Flander style mm -hmm. coming out as the next bottled it after that. But I'm super excited about that project. It reminds me of um, of like Brooklyn Brewery's uh, Ghost Label project, right? Where okay. uh, those guys just got to kind of make what they wanted to make. And if they thought it was good, it would come out in Ghost Label and um, and, and, you know, people would really, it would be limited and be sought out. So, uh, I'm excited about that moving forward. Uh, and, and other than that, you know, we're working on some other things behind the scenes that really aren't, you know, that really aren't as fleshed out as we'd like them to be for, to be able to talk about yeah. it publicly. But, um, but yeah, I mean, look out for it and some really, I think, special stuff from the guys on the stand soon. Sweet, sweet, sweet. I think from uh, Vanessa House uh, standard or standpoint, we already mentioned we have our big uh, anniversary party coming up on March thirtieth, uh, so we want people to come check that out. Uh, we just recently started a video game league. I saw that uh, on Monday I'm night. Chris Cox, right? Yeah, 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 with Chris Cox. Yeah, you guys work with him. He's a great dude. Yep, great dude. Um, he's uh, he's helped us a lot. Like he's he. I'm not the big gamer in the group. Zach and Evan are, are far more into it, and Justin a little bit as well. Uh, Who? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that one. Um, yeah, but he's really helped us get that thing off the ground. And we had our first uh, tournament this past Monday, and it was uh, uh, we had about ten people or so show up, which was good for a first night. Allowed us to work any bugs out without it being too right crazy. And we're streaming it online through Twitch and Facebook and everything. Uh, but it was a lot of fun, and we hope to keep seeing more and more people come out. And it's it's a league format, so each month we're changing the game, and then every three months there'll be an overall league champion. Ah. Whole and we got scoring <laughs> systems. There's prizes every night. There's prizes every month, and then there's a the grand prize is a, a custom uh, 16 ounce stein or maybe a 12 ounce stein that Badass. we'll keep in the brewery in the tap room that you can drink out of when you come in cool. and hang out. Uh, so those are two things. Anything else? No, I think you covered it. kind of. Our, I kind of plugged the the, the t-shirt you already talked so. about a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I do need to plug one more thing. I'm oh, sorry. Here we, here we go. Right around the corner uh, from where we're where we're sitting right now. So uh, May third, I believe. Which uh, weirdly, we just found this out, or we just realized this. So our summer seasonal "Fly Me Away," which is a New England style hazy Excellent. IPA, yeah, yeah. as well, comes out uh, first weekend in May. Uh, we're super excited. I, I, I think this is either going to be a massive hit or it's going to be a massive failure. But knowing who we're partnering with, I think massive hit is the right answer. We're actually throwing a Kentucky Derby party pump bar style. Oh, sure. So we're having a, a Derby party on Saturday of the Kentucky Derby, which happens to be uh, the release of Fly Me Away. And it will be a ticketed event. Um, it's going to be a low-dollar ticketed event uh, around Fly Me Away. There'll be some giveaways around the Derby. But all the proceeds are going to benefit Uptown 23rd, nice. uh, who uh, we're uh, Uptown 23rd, the association is near and dear to our heart. We're obviously moving down here to 23rd Street. We've been big supporters of this redevelopment, this infill uh, uh, over time. Uh, we've got a great relationship with Tower. We've got a great relationship with Uptown. And so we're happy to have all the proceeds from that benefit the Uptown 23rd Association and what they're doing. I hope there's a, a mint julep inspired beer cocktail. There is, okay. for sure. Yep. Good, good. Problem solved. Problem so, solved. Yeah, good. thanks for letting me get that in. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I think that's the this is the this is the end of episode three. And uh, guys, I appreciate you checking it out. Make sure you go check out the first two episodes, and uh, we'll keep trucking along.
Thanks, fellas. Sweet. Peace. Thanks for listening. This has been the Vanessa House Bottle Share. Make sure to get out and support your local craft breweries by visiting the many tap rooms. You can find Vanessa House at 118 Northwest 8, right in the heart of Automobile Alley. You can find Vanessa House on Facebook at Vanessa House Beer Co. You can find Vanessa House on Instagram at Vanessa House Beer Co. You can find us on Twitter at VH underscore beer. And you can check our website out at VanessaHouseBeerCo.com.